Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hi, I'm Emily Tampkin, and you're listening to World Review from the New Statesman, a twice-weekly international news podcast. Every Thursday, we come together to unpack some of the most significant stories in world affairs. And every Monday, we interview a guest for their unique perspective and expertise. Today, I'm speaking with Ramon Pacheco-Pardo, Professor of International Relations at King's College London, and the author of the new book, From Shrimp to Whale, South Korea from the Forgotten War to K-Pop. Professor, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. So tomorrow is the inauguration of South Korea's new president. Could you tell us a bit about Yoon Suk-yeol? He's a, a, a political outsider, which is uh, rare in South Korea since his transition to democracy, uh, in the sense that he has never held any sort of a political role. He didn't belong to any party. Before running for president, he, he was actually a prosecutor, which is one of the most coveted jobs in Korea. And in a sense, he only ran for president because uh, he fell out uh, with the current president, with President Moon, who has been in power for five years. So in a sense, he's really a novelty in South Korean politics because he doesn't have this background in the National Assembly, in a regional government that all other presidents until now had had. And and you were just in South Korea and speaking with people familiar with him and close to him. Can you tell us a bit about what they said about what we should expect from his presidency's foreign policy? I think there are a couple of things that stand out. The first one is that the people that June has surrounded himself with, his advisors, uh, nominees for for a minister, for example, defense minister, they are fairly mainstream, uh, well-known figures. They have been involved in foreign policy issues for years, if not decades. And I think that what June is going to try to do is to try to have a foreign policy that is led by the experts, because he has acknowledged publicly that this is not his main area of expertise by any stretch of the imagination. This is what we think, uh, that what I think may happen. Uh, obviously, he might take a different approach, and he may decide that he wants to make the calls, of course, and he's entitled to the president. The second issue is that many of his advisors feel that South Korea has to make a stand 
and side with democracies, with the US, uh, with European democracies, Japan, Taiwan. In this battle that many people think we have between democracies and authoritarian regimes, they feel that Korea has been very quiet on these issues over the past five years and the outgoing President Moon. And they feel that Korea has to be more outspoken and more clearly said, well, we are a democracy, we're a market economy, we respect human rights. Therefore, these are our friends in international affairs, the ones I mentioned before. Let's let's play this out a little bit. What does it look like, do you think, if South Korea moves more firmly toward the United States? Because I think Moon was perceived here as really trying to do this very delicate diplomatic balancing act between um, North Korea, China, and on the other hand, Japan, the United States. What I mean, what what do you think it looks like if if it if under Yoon it says nope, we're we're all in on America? <laughs> that's that, that's an excellent question. I think to to begin with is that the Korea, of course, is South Korea's neighbors with with China, so it's never going to try to break relations with China. There is no talk about economic decoupling. There is no talk about diplomatic isolation. But uh, what South Korea I think is going to be doing it is going to be more vocal in its criticism of China, for example, on human rights issues in Yan, Hong Kong, Tibet, etc., etc., which is true that uh, President Moon wasn't uh, very keen on speaking out on, on, on these things. Uh, secondly, I think he, well, he has indicated, President Yun, uh, that he is going to work more closely with the Quad, uh, that potentially Korea could join the Quad, and this is something that the previous president wasn't very keen on. It's true that he was working with, with the Quad countries, but he wasn't keen on, on, on joining by any stretch of the imagination. And I think if an invitation is forthcoming from, from, from the Quad members, I think that uh, President Jung would accept it. Not only the Quad, but also the other initiatives. For example, the US is about to launch this economic framework for the Indo-Pacific. I think President Jung and his advisors have indicated that they're going to be very supportive of this. And this support, uh, working together with these uh, partner countries, is not only about the practical cooperation, but also about signing up to joint statements that may come out from these groups, implicitly or explicitly criticizing China and other countries, and uh, explicitly uh, supporting US-led initiatives. And this is something that the Moon government was not as keen on doing. The Quad, just for anyone who's unfamiliar, is the, the security dialogue between Australia, India, Japan, and the United States. So I guess the reverse of this, right, the reverse of moving closer to the United States is moving farther from, from China and also changing, perhaps, the posture toward North Korea. As we said, Moon really tried to pursue diplomacy vis-a-vis -vis North Korea. Um, North Korea recently had another cycle of missile tests. Are, are we headed toward a more dangerous phase between South and North Korea, do you think? Frankly, I think it depends on North Korea more than more than South Korea. I think that mm -hmm. President Yoon, he's going to try to talk to North Korea, but obviously he's going to lay down some conditions. So this is not going to be the type of a conditional dialogue that we saw President Moon. But I think that the Yoon, uh, he will say, well, North Korea has to take steps towards denuclearization to warrant a, a summit, for example, between the leaders, right? That, that, that happened three times under Moon. I think that he's going to be more critical about human rights issues. I think he might even be more critical about uh, missile tests as well. And we have to see how North Korea reacts. We have to see whether North Korea is genuine when he has said that he actually wants to have better relations with South Korea and, of course, with the U.S. as well. 
or, or not. And, and I think with the previous president, he was willing to cut some slack to, to, to North Korea, especially during his first uh, three years and a half in office, and try to find this balance between the position of the US and the position of North Korea. And I think with Jung, we're not going to see this. Uh, he's going to say, well, our position is clear. Uh, we're going to be working together with the US to try to deal with North Korean nuclear threat, but also uh, with North Korean human rights abuses. And if North Korea is going to take uh, offense at these demands coming from South Korea, then I think that uh, you're right. I think we're going to have a more unpredictable and dangerous situation in the Korean Peninsula. But if North Korea says, well, let's try to reach a deal with Yoon and of course with President Biden as well, then I think that the situation could be stable for the foreseeable future. It will be interesting to see in 2024 if the U.S. has a, a different um, president, how, how this how this all changes. But in South Korea, um, what is the sort of popular perception of of this this change in policy? I think that in, in South Korea, there is huge discontent with North Korea. There is this perception in, in 2018. I mean, I happened to be there in, in, in South Korea during the first summit between Kim and Moon in, in 2018, April 2018. And there was a great hope that this would lead to a change in relations between the two Koreas, not only because of this first summit, because there were two more summits uh, that same year. And of course, there was a trilateral the following year and all the meetings with, with Trump. So there was genuine hope that Kim Jong-un was a different type of North Korean leader and that he would really try to improve relations. And as the years went by, especially after the failure of the Hanoi summit and, and North Korea resumed missile tests, and uh, became openly critical, actually, of the Moon government as well through its official media, for example. Then there was this perception that, well, uh, we have seen this before. We saw this in, in 2000 with the first summit, inter-Korean summit, 2007 with the second inter-Korean summit. North Korea hasn't changed and the new leader is the same as the previous one, his father, and maybe even as, as his grandfather. So I think there is this perception in, in, in South Korea that uh, Moon tried his best. It didn't work out. But they don't blame Moon as much as uh, North Korea. I think that the change in policy is going to be welcome because many North, many South Koreans are very critical of the way North Korea and the North Korean regime deals, for example, with its own population, all the human rights abuses, prison camps, and the overall treatment uh, of those that are not close uh, to the regime. So I think that uh, Yoon is going to tap with his change in policy uh, into a wish uh, by many South Koreans to take a tougher stance towards North Korea and not to be so naive, so to speak, when approaching inter-Korean relations. I'd like to switch gears slightly now from foreign to domestic policy. For listeners who did not follow the South Korean election, Yoon ran something of an anti-feminist campaign, or it was understood by many not to show my own bias here, but including me as an anti-feminist campaign. <laughs> could you could you tell us a little bit about about that and why it was effective? I, I, I think he did. I think he did to an extent because uh, he, he he did say that he was going to abolish the gender ministry and that South Korea has had for over twenty years now. He's not going to do it in the end, at least for the time being. But during his campaign, uh, he was essentially saying that in uh, Korea we have reached a stage where women are treated equally to, to men, where more women are going to university than men. Uh, therefore, there is no inequality anymore. Obviously, this goes against many international studies that show that, that, that Korea continues to be unequal compared to other uh, developed countries. And, and I think that, that he, he tapped into this content that many younger 
Korean men feel at what they perceive to be a lack of job opportunities and at what they perceive to be a lack of opportunities also to, to buy their own houses, right? So, so, so the idea that uh, house prices are so high that they won't be able to afford them in the future. And also, which is very important, obviously, in a Korean context, uh, the fact that, that young Korean men had to take up to one year and a half of military service. Uh, and they feel that it is unfair that they have to do this, that they have to be conscripted and, and women don't have to. I, I don't know, to be honest, to what extent this was the reason why June won, uh, because it has to be said that with the exception of the under-30s, many women actually voted for him in, in what seemed to be a protest vote against the current government. But if you look at the split of the vote in the uh, under-30s, it is true that there was a, a difference in the percentage of uh, men that voted for, for Yoon compared to women, around two-thirds of uh, men uh, voted for Yoon, and only around one-third to 40% of women voted for him. So there was this disparity. So considering the vote, the difference between the two candidates was so narrow in the end, uh, less than a million votes, some would argue that this is the reason why, why he won. But I do think that the jury is still out whether this was the main reason or not. But clearly he, he played this anti-feminist campaign, in my view, uh, until he was elected. Well, it's one thing to play a hand, as you say, in a campaign, and it's another to pursue policy as president. So to what extent do you think, and obviously I'm asking you to sort of predict and speculate, but but to what extent do you think that we'll see this sort of the sort of attitude reflected in his actual presidency? Well, the interesting thing is that one of the first things he has said is that this idea of abolishing the Ministry of Gender Issues, uh, which was a campaign pledge, he said, I will do it as soon as I take office, uh, now it's gone. And now he's uh, retracting this statement. But having said that, obviously, this is a very uh, totemic issue, but it's only one of, of many issues, because, for example, what we saw under President Moon, uh, the outgoing president, uh, is that he did make an effort, for example, to extend and protect maternity leave, to extend paternity uh, leave as well, so that men actually also take leave when, when, when they have children. He also tried to make it more uh, difficult to fire women uh, when they're pregnant or after they're pregnant and return to work. So there were this set of measures to protect women's rights, and he called himself a feminist president. So I don't think this is, well, this is not going to happen under June. So there's going to be a change there. But as to actively pursue what would be anti-feminist measures, uh, I think he's going to be very careful with that because, first of all, he has a a minority uh, in the National Assembly. So there are many policies that he may want to implement that are simply not going to be passed by the National Assembly. But, But secondly, Women, of course, make 50% of, of voters, and we're going to have National Assembly elections coming in a couple of years, and he will want to win a higher share of the women's vote. So he cannot actively pursue anti-feminist policies, and I think he's going to be quite constrained in actually doing this. But of course, this is only a prediction, and in any case, as I said, because the previous president explicitly labeled himself as a feminist president, there's clearly going to be a change in messaging with the new one. And we'll have to see the extent to which that change of message is reflected in, in change of policy. Wherever you are in the world, if you're interested in global affairs, you can subscribe to The New Statesman in digital, in print, or both from as little as £1 a week. That's 12 weeks for just £12. That's one euro a week in Europe and just $2 a week in America. Just go to www.newstatesman.com slash podcast offer.
From the New Statesman comes a new podcast, Audio Long Reads, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. Songs are like tattoos, Mitchell said on Blue. Having one written about you is immortality and fiction rolled into one. Featuring writing from our authors, including Kate Mossman on Joni Mitchell's former muse and lover, Jeremy Cliff on his journey through France before this year's presidential election, and Sophie McBain on the refugee crisis. Don't die, he kept shouting. He didn't answer when Mardwe screamed back, Who is dying? Ease into the weekend with our audio long reads, published every Saturday morning. Just search Audio Long Reads wherever you get your podcasts. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. We've been speaking about foreign policy, about this one element of domestic policy, but is there something that you think has been undercovered or under-discussed about this new president that you think World Review listeners should be attuned to? <laughs> I, I, think, I think one of the most interesting things about the new president is that even though he ran with the conservative party, in the past it wasn't clear whether he was conservative or liberal. There was this perception of him because he actually was one of the leading prosecutors when uh, Pacquiao, the former conservative president, was impeached and then sent to prison. He was one of the leading prosecutors uh, of, of former President Pac. And then there was this perception, well, he, is he a liberal because he's really uh, pursuing this case, even though that was his job as a, as a prosecutor. But then he ended up running for president with the conservative party. So I think we may be seeing uh, something new uh, in South uh, Korea which is, uh, even though in theory there's a big divide between liberals and conservatives, we have seen that the president who has been elected, even though he ran with uh, the conservatives, he's not perceived as one of the most conservative politicians there are in South Korea. There were more conservative candidates in the primaries for the PPP, for the Conservative Party, that actually didn't make it to the final round, which is actually uh, to, to run against the liberal opponent. So it might be seen in South Korea, a number of voters 
who feel that this conservative liberal division is artificial and that we have to move into more consensual policies, which is something that we see in some European countries. Of course, for example, now we talk about uh, Germany, one of these countries, right? So that would be an important change in South Korea because it would mean that the divisions of the past, obviously going back to dictatorship, are going. Uh, the other interesting issue about him is that he's the first president-elect, president of uh, South Korea, that has not explicitly said that he's going to reform the Chebol, uh, the big conglomerates in the country. This is something that all liberal and conservative presidents have said in the past. We're going to reform the Chebol. We're going to give more opportunities to small, medium-sized enterprises. These big conglomerates shouldn't be dominating the economy. But he hasn't said that. So this indicates to me that probably South Korean Jun as president, he's going to rely more on the big conglomerates to drive economic growth. Uh, and mm. this could be a change from previous presidents that were really trying to support more smaller businesses. And do you think that that too could contribute to a sort of political realignment? I think it could because it is fair to say that many South Koreans now with the, uh, with the pandemic, they didn't want uh, big economic changes, right? They wanted your Samsung, right. LG, Hyundai to, to drive economic growth. Uh, so it is true that there could be a realignment there in the past. Voters always expressed that they wanted uh, travel reform that they wanted them to be less dominant in the economy. And this was really gone from the election campaign that we had until June was elected. Before I let you go, I wanted to give you an opportunity to just not plug, but sort of describe your book, uh, South Korea from the Forgotten War to K-pop. What can readers who, you know, they've listened to this conversation, they're fascinated, they want more, what can they expect from the book? This is a, a book that really covers South Korean history, right? So since the creation of the country in 1948, of course, with all the previous uh, background, of uh, Korea as a unified country and also being colonized uh, until this election, actually. That's the finishing point of the of, of the book, the moment that June is elected. Basically, what, the, what I try to do with the book is to show how political, economic, social and cultural history in Korea has evolved, in South Korea has evolved since 1948 until today, in a sense showing that South Koreans themselves have become more open, more liberal, more international, and that this change from the South Korean people has actually driven change in the country in terms of economic policy or, or, or what politicians can manage to do, for example, something that we discussed today. So it's really a history for someone who, who wants to know more how South Korea has become what it is today, not only, as I said, in terms of politics, economics and society, but also I emphasize the cultural uh, aspect as well. So, of course, I mentioned <laughs> K-pop, which is in the title of the book, Korean mm-hmm. dramas, etc., etc. Fascinating. Well, I have been speaking today with Ramon Pacheco-Pardo, professor of international relations at King's College London, and once again, the author of From Shrimp to Whale, South Korea from the Forgotten War to K-pop. Professor, thank you so much for being with me today. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. This has been the World Review from the New Statesman. You can read all our international coverage on newstatesman.com international. If you have enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or an enemy and rate us and leave us a nice review. Our producer has been May Robson. The team will be back on Thursday. And I am Emily Tampkin. Thanks for listening. And until next time. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. 
Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com. Code PROGRAM. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details.